1: Sunday night edition of the pod 15 and 60 or 120 or 150 whatever it ends up being we're gonna try not to get to like 150 or whatever it was like we did last time uh but welcome in eastern conference this week we're gonna go in a loose reverse alphabetical order but as we've been doing recently kind of combining a couple of teams that we saw play in individual games here we'll probably start with uh Cleveland and Washington they played a, a fun one today a little bit more defense in this one than uh the last one which saw LeBron James put up 57 points Points and Cleveland win by 130 to 123. We're sponsored today by our friends at MeUndies. Personally, the most comfortable pair of underwear that I have worn. You can get 20% off the softest underwear and socks that you will ever wear. MeUndies.com slash cap space is that URL. All right, let's start with the fundamentals for the Washington Wizards, Danny.
2: The Wizards are 16 and 14, four and four since the last 15 and 60. We'll talk about why I think that's actually positive for them. Net rating plus 2.5 is 7th in the league, 13th in offense, 8th in defense and 538 is giving them an 81% chance of making the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that's a positive because they went 4 and 5 in the games without Wall, uh, but they also were quite competitive even in the games that they lost.
2: Right, other than getting trucked by the the Jazz, the other four losses were all by five points or fewer and that that game against the Clippers in LA, I think you could argue that they should have won that game. I I would and argue that. And so it was important just to to stay above water and and to do that because right now it looks like they're kind of, they're at the top of the group of teams below the top three. And that's a good place to be. It's not perfect, obviously. And something else that was notable during that time is that Bradley Beal averaged about 24 points a game. It was a little bit concerning that Otto Porter only averaged 14.3 and 43% shooting from the floor.
1: But- Yeah, it it was. And that was something that we were really going to be focused in on, was could he move up to being closer to that number two scorer had to create some of his own offense and we talked about it before where he was really was taking a lot of mid-rangers now he did miss today's game with a hip issue and you'll remember that his rookie year was derailed uh, with hip issues i'm not sure whether it's the same hip or, or not off the top of my head but that'll be something to monitor but perhaps that had grown to be a lingering issue for him and, and perhaps that's part of why he didn't play as well but i would say that his performance when wall was out was kind of in line with what my expectations were because he hasn't really shown much as a guy who can create rather than finish plays that others set up for
2: somebody who's done an, a, an incredible job partially over the time while was up but mostly after he's been back is mike scott he is just going crazy the last five games he's averaging 16 points on almost 70 percent from the floor which is remarkable when he's taking four threes a game and he's doing that in only 25 minutes he's been their number two scorer during that time behind bradley beal per game not total points.
1: Yeah, and interestingly, Scott actually started the second half in lieu of Marquise Morris, and then Morris and Scott actually closed the game. Scott was given the assignment on LeBron James, and actually did not do too poorly on, on him in the half quarter Although LeBron was a little bit more in chill mode than he was the last time that we saw them in terms of trying to get to the basket. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see. You know, I didn't see an explanation from Brooks on why it was that Morris didn't start the second half, and. He he in fact you know wasn't even on the bench for the first five minutes of the second half but then i think he played nearly the entire time after that as they did not close the game with the center did you see anything on why it was that Marquise morris didn't start the second half
2: i did not see anything on that uh, but something i wanted to ask you was so the game today against cleveland this was john wall's third game back he played this has been through this homestand against memphis the clippers both games they won and then this one against the Cavs. to me he doesn't look he he's you know he's obviously returned to the floor he doesn't look 100 and 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 usually that's because he just has a special burst and he hasn't really brought that in yet. But you know they have. I think they just they've looked a little bit better to me, just co- cogent as a team. Tim Fraser had some nice moments, but generally didn't. And John Wall just makes a world of difference for them.
1: Yeah, and they actually have gone with uh, Satoransky now appears to have jumped Fraser. I don't think Fraser played at all today. In fact, I don't and, think
2: he did. I don't remember him being and, out and there. So,
1: so they want the sataransky who you know has always been kind of a plus minus. I don't want to say god because that's overstating it, but a, a plus minus pot positive shall we say and yeah in fact Frazier did not play today Sadaransky played 25 minutes so he and was negative 15 but he provides some uh, positional and size versatility I think part of the reason too might have just been that they didn't want to have a small guy out there when Cleveland doesn't play a lot of point guard size guys especially on, on their second unit but yeah I thought wall uh, he was solid today he was trying to push the pace there's a key stretch where he just missed two wide open point blank layups so it looked like his timing was off a little bit, and only had six assists. He wasn't quite getting the penetration in the half court. The Cavs were switching a lot, and he was settling for jumpers, which I think is usually a pretty good strategy against John Wall. And he only played thirty-two minutes as well. So part of that I think was because Beal had it rolling, and he played a lot of minutes instead. He played forty-three, but you know he's got to get back there. And the type of condition that he apparently had, you know, just soreness in his knee of the PRP injection, that seems like more of a hey, you know, it could. Kind of come back. There'll be good days and bad days. We got to manage it throughout the season, type of thing here. And I guess one nice thing for the Wizards is that with Cleveland, Toronto, and Boston now so far ahead of them, and I think they probably also view themselves as way better than all the teams that are below them. You might as well just kind of take it easy here during the regular season, and you're almost certainly going to make the playoffs. And as long as you don't fall to the sixth seed, uh, you can feel pretty good about where you are going into. Uh, the playoffs, maybe with a little bit more rest than they've had in previous year.
2: It's always hard to, to to tell a coach or a team that, but it could be at the point, especially like what if the math just gets clear. Let's say the last week of of the regular season, then you could say, okay, even if even if you just have that desire to push. And the difference between the four and the five is it does matter, you know, home court in that series because usually those teams are pretty evenly matched if they're both healthy. But I don't think that's enough to warrant, you know, play pushing John Wall, pushing Brad Beal, those kind of guys as hard as. You can. A
1: few other notes on them. Bradley Beal actually played the first 18 minutes of the game, I think just because he was really lighting it up early. But playing 18 minutes a row is tough, and he did not finish well at all. Uh, ended up 10 out of 27 for his 27 points. They also really just struggled to guard Cleveland with Kevin Love at center. And that's eventually why they went with that Morris and Scott front court. And by the way, Morris, the reason he was on the bench was he actually had x-rays on his neck or wasn't on the bench to start the third had x-rays on his neck oh okay at halftime which were negative so uh, nothing to look at there nobody seemed to know what was going on uh would have been nice for of wizards pr to give us a little uh, update um Mm. but i thought that they actually defended pretty well in this game uh especially in the fourth quarter you know lebron the cavaliers were up lebron went to his iso game and lebron has been the probably the best clutch player in the nba this season and scott actually defended him reasonably well which is uh, amazing to think of but you know lebron was taking a lot of the same shots that he's been taking you know the step back to his left a lot of times from three and it just didn't go in for him this time let's move to cleveland now Uh, their fundamentals before we uh, we lock in on them in this game
2: so the Cavs are all the way up to 23 and eight they're seven and one since last time we did this they've won 18 out of 19 their plus 4.3 net rating is fifth third in offense 25th in defense which is actually significantly better than last time and they have the greater than 99 percent chance of making the playoffs and one of the definitive parts of this and it, it was true to a point in this game was that they've been positive without LeBron out there and that is massive for the way the the Cavs are are going to succeed as a regular season team of course that's important in the playoffs but that's a different test but if they can be you know flat or even above that they're gonna outscore most opponents when LeBron's on the floor
1: yeah that's impressive And their starting lineup is like kind of a joke with Calderon out there um you know Jake Cry I shouldn't say joke but they're not playing that well it's clearly not their best lineup you know Wade Wade comes off the bench there's times when he's in their closing lineup Jeff Green who they've actually gotten a lot out of this season I think would you agree with that that Green has been a lot better than you expected this year
2: yes that does happen playing with LeBron James but yes
1: yeah for Green 60.5% true shooting on 19% usage he's just been getting to the rim he has a career high in PER by more than two points and that true shooting percentage is a career high by more than four points so he uh certainly not what you would have expected him to do but he's been able to get to the rim they just have so much spacing on this team and and LeBron you definitely like he he really makes the game simple for the players on his team right like he's able to get more out of guys that are kind of lower IQ guys at least on the offensive end you know J.R. Smith falls into this category as well because he controls a lot of the action and then he just puts them in a position where they don't have to do much you know they can finish the play or they just you know jeff green straight right hand drive jump off your left foot and try and finish at the rim so there's and just been getting into the post a little bit too but there's just the reads that need to be made for him which is always really one of the big issues is just that he wasn't the smartest player he's been able to be put in position to succeed so much more now uh another guy on the wing who's actually been playing recently is uh jetty osman good to see him getting into the lineup he signed that three-year nine million dollar deal you'll recall that he was actually part of the trade for tyus jones in 2015 the Cavs had 24 they traded it for 31 and 36 36 became rakeem christmas who basically got dumped to uh indiana and is now out of the league and then osmond didn't come over uh, until this year so they're playing paying a fair amount of luxury tax for him they used part of their mini mid-levels to bring him in this year but he's finally starting to produce at least a little bit
2: he has and you kind of see that not only in the shots he's taking but how those shots are coming that he has taken almost All of his shots at from three or at the rim, which is good, you know, straight up morey ball. And he's not really creating for anybody else. But the Cavs don't need every guy on their team to do that. They have LeBron James. They have guys like Dwayne Wade as well. So play finisher is is an attribute that can be very valuable for them. And I think he's done a pretty good job. The only thing that I have is just I I wish he got to the line at least a little bit. He he hasn't taken a free throw from what I from what I recall, he hasn't taken a free throw at all this year.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it was interesting. Kevin Durant had a Point that recently I've, I've touched on this a little bit the other day that you know if you're not the guy creating the play especially in the NBA it's harder to get to the foul line. you know sometimes if you're you know you're a big guy right around the rim you're you can get a foul because you're just right under there and they're just going to grab you and you're probably a crappy free throw shooter but for someone like Osman he's either going to take a three or he's going to get out in the break or you know he's cutting back door and he's just wide open you know so I don't know that I necessarily would see that as an indictment that he's not it's not it's not a lack of
2: aggression yeah. i'm not i'm not saying yeah. that at all
1: yeah yeah and he has turned it over a little bit though which is a problem uh but i like his game one problem though is that he's really skinny still and so you know if he's going to try and play in the playoffs and get switched on to good players defensively you know i think that's going to be an issue for him i think was an off-ball guy maybe he can be more effective um one other piece of news on them before we turn to our observations from this game against the wizards uh, isaiah thomas is targeting the first week of january per report uh, by Sean shirania today he likely will not play at christmas he actually sham said that Isaiah is confident he could go right now but they're really trying to give it some maintenance and to fix it so once he does come back he's not going to like need all these rest days and stuff so um getting to cleveland in this game
2: so can i make a point at the beginning of this what something that that i found interesting and it was I, i i think it just coincides with tristan thompson you know coming back to the floor is that in the regular season and probably in the first round maybe the second Around of the playoffs depending on who they face cleveland can really get by with love at center because it just wreaks so much havoc with the other team that they can go with the approach of outscoring and having their defense be just enough to win and while i don't think that will work against the best of the best that's a whole long way from now
1: yeah it is and in this game you know gortat Me, like those guys just couldn't keep up you know and that's why brooks had to go to that more versatile lineup um you know i thought that they had some issues early in this game defense they gave up a 37 point second quarter to Washington and it was tied at 60 at halftime but then defensively they locked down pretty well in that fourth quarter and in part because they were able to switch and the Wizards weren't really able to take advantage of it the Wizards missed some shots as well but for them to be able to win when LeBron really had one of his worst games of the season shooting the ball eight out of 23 although he had the triple double with 15 assists but coughed up six turnovers six of their nine turnovers in the game actually um it's good for this team to be able to win another way other than just putting up a buck 20 and hitting a million three
2: yeah it definitely was good and while there wasn't much nominal clutch time in this game because well, I mean, there was that long stretch where nobody scored, so I guess there was more time than I was thinking. But the Wizards last year were fought nine games over 500 in clutch situations, and they had a plus 16 net rating. This year, they're two games under 500, 8 and 10, and have a negative 20 net rating. And I think some of that is just that they've had these offensive struggles like those games when Bradley Beal just couldn't hit shots. But you did see them, you know, they didn't really, to me, generate much good stuff in those last few minutes.
1: Yeah, and I also think, for the, since this is now the Wizards, section again i, I guess uh, that you know the wizards fundamentals are pretty much the same as they were last year they're just you know have been less lucky in clutch games than john wall has, has missed uh, those two weeks um getting back to cleveland though tristan thompson has returned now from that calf injury the initial last one was three or four weeks he actually had an odd interview in which he basically said three to four weeks was never realistic like uh, and was basically like who told you that like they told you all that like that wasn't what it was just I, I thought was kind of odd uh and Calderon had at a Weird line in this one. Four points on two of two, and did not scratch in any other box score category, including uh, on the glass. And while he, it's going to be interesting to see where he's going to play now because they found such such success at the start of the second and fourth quarters with LeBron coming back in, playing with that second unit. Fry, I think, you know, has found himself a a spot again. You know, Fry and Corver together, Jeff Green, and they're going with Osmond in this one. Usually, it'll be Wade with that unit. That's been killing people so if Thompson's not going to play in that unit so they can get the spacing on the floor if he's not going to be in the starting unit which maybe he will be maybe he won't be but consider that they've won you know 17 out of 18 I don't know if you want to mess up that starting unit either so where does he fit in then really you know for six minutes at the end of the first quarter and then and third quarter and then you know maybe somewhere in the fourth and it might close the game but probably not I mean definitely really negatively impacts their offense so I don't know I mean do you think that their best lineups will still Include him,
2: Danny? Oof. I think that if LeBron shooting is kind of where it has been this year, they get a little bit more of a margin. But I think Love has been better at the five than at the four, so it begs the question. I, I think, I think against maybe the Warriors and Rockets and maybe the Celtics, Tristan might be might be the option. But other than that, I think they're fine without him.
1: Yeah, you know, against the Warriors last year, like the one game that they won was the game that Thompson actually played well. But it's not; they still weren't stopping the Warriors anyway. So, it's like if we're not going to stop them even with this guy in the court, we might as well just like play our best offensive line it because having him out there does make them much more stoppable for the best defense. And we saw it a couple of times today where they would run pick and roll, and Gortat who was just, or Mahimi, who just like had no chance of getting out to Love or Fry, were able to defend that play quite easily. They'd throw it to Tristan, but then you're able to get back in front, or, you know, he's not going to just roll in and dunk on somebody either necessarily. So, he's kind of going to catch it and survey and maybe go up for a floater in the lane or something like that or put his back to goal and try try a hook shot so it does make them so much easier to guard he does provide that aspect on the offensive glass that you know really demoralizes teams and and this team is without him has been you know one of the uh, lowest offensive rebounding teams in the league but it really be interesting to see where he fits in i mean i guess the thought too that they might say is that hey you know fry just like can't play against golden state like that's what lou seems to believe fry has played very little if at all against golden state so maybe they'll just say hey we got to play thompson with that second unit instead but uh, yeah whether thompson is going to start or not or
2: actually they could use love in the fry role there that would be interesting
1: yeah they they could do that um and you know love certainly could play more minutes than he you know he's been averaging around 32 a game he could certainly play more minutes in the playoffs potentially um or you might say too that hey maybe they should put thompson and love in the starting lineup and if you have isaiah thomas also in the starting lineup then you've just got enough individual scoring between he and lebron uh that you'll be able to kill things, and then you know how how well is Corver going to be able to play against the best teams as well? Because he absolutely torched uh, during a period uh, in the second quarter uh, this Wizards team. I mean, they, they just could not deal with the pin downs for him. He was setting screens for other people, and they didn't want to leave him getting people open. Like he really you know dominated the game for a short time, and he's just been having an absolutely wonderful season. Um, and certainly if you go on his value during the regular season and even the first three rounds of the playoffs last year, you know he was worth that first pick they gave up but you know this team has has some pretty big fish to fry and you wonder about whether Corver can do that or not uh let's move on to the Toronto Raptors here uh, but first this from MeUndies the only underwear that makes for an amazing gift MeUndies has a soft flexible waistband it's three times softer than cotton made with natural sustainably sourced fiber and for me it's the most comfortable underwear that I have ever owned it moves with you but it's not like overly snug you really will Just forget that you have it on. So, this holiday season, don't give underwear, give me undies. To get your exclusive 20% off the softest underwear and socks that you will ever wear, get free shipping and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to slash cap space. Once again, that is slash cap space. Easy to remember that URL because we talk about cap space all the time in the program. slash cap space. That URL will let them know that you came from us. Toronto is 20 and 8, rolling right along here and one in their last seven since we checked in on them 8.3 net rating in non-garbage time that is third in the nba fourth in offense ninth in defense and greater than 99 chance of making the playoffs per uh, 538 which of those is more surprising to you the fourth in offense or the ninth in defense
2: the ninth in defense i mean toronto has had some some strong offensive seasons but i we've talked before about the shooting profile like that's more surprising but the overall number isn't there and but i think what's been kind of underrated we've talked about you know how cleveland has been so huge since they scuttled in that start right now it's really a three-team race in terms of projections and in terms of how these teams are looking for the top of the east the The raptors are a little bit behind the celtics and the calves in terms of wins and losses but they've been playing really really well and they always have projected when the healthy to be a good regular season team so moving from kind of the group below those teams into potential conversation and we'll see how they do in the next week or two. But that's a notable step for them. To, to kind of separate from the field and that will make a difference if they can hold it in the first round and then presumably in the second.
1: Yeah, I think for them to not have to play Boston or Cleveland until a potential conference finals matchup and, and that would be, I think, a fascinating series between them and, and the Wizards or Bucks as well since they played the Bucks last year and we'll see whether these ballyhooed offensive changes will really keep up. Per usual, their bench has been very solid this year and a big part of that ha- has been Jakub Pertl what uh relevant stats can you give us on him
2: so something that has been striking for us is that he's just been a, a really good offensive rebounder 12 percent offensive rebound rate is is very good and 70 67 i would sh- have
1: actually expected it to be higher based on some of the game <laughs> well i
2: mean we, we that saw that him grab like nine offensive rebounds in one game in person it was, so 10, it was
1: 10, 10 10 offensive rebounds and he got like two loose ball falls in that game too so yeah. but that was that was against a uh less than dialed in shall we say warriors team but he does go hard after most offensive rebounds but you know just watching him i would have thought maybe he'd be like a 14 percent offensive rebound rate guy instead of a 12 12%, percent. Which 12 12% still good but not necessarily absolutely dead bang
2: yeah well, we'll see where it goes and i mean obviously when a guy's playing backup minutes it can sometimes be hard because it's a couple of bounces but 67 percent true shooting 16 percent usage 60 percent usage for a guy with his kind of background i'm totally fine with you know it'd be good if it was a little bit more but it's totally fine and he's taking a lot of his shots at the rim surprise surprise uh 72 percent there And so, yeah, I want to see what he can do, though, with some of their starter-heavier lineups. And almost as important as that part of it is how he looks with his teammates is how he fares against his counterparts in that way. Because my vision for the Raptors is that if they can unload Valanchunas, that that could be their way under the tax for next year, which I presume that they would like, whether it's feasible or not is another question. But if Pirtle can step into that role, they can be completely fine in terms of cap space.
1: By the way, here's a a cool stat from... Falk's site Pirtle has offensive rebounded 16.7 percent of Raptors missed free throws oh wow when he's been in the game so he that's actually higher than his regular field goal offensive rebound percentage so that's you know he's not giving up on those plays at all which a lot of guys just kind of run back in today's NBA so he actually is like I mean, any coach is going to just tear their eyes out uh, with knowing that you're giving up 17 percent offensive rebounds to anybody not to mention just one player on free throws now you know i'm sure that's like not a particularly high percentage considering that there aren't that many missed free throws but nonetheless just interesting that that stat is available um what else do we need to talk about with him
2: well we should keep an eye on his free throw shooting again small sample size here but he was 61 last year and now it's at 50 and it's not like he's ever going to be a jump shooter so you're not worried about how that portends to his three-point shot or anything like that at least in the near term but a guy needs to be able to convert the opportunities that are in front of him and something that is just worth keeping an eye on is that opponent field goal percentage at the rim is basically the same when he's on the floor versus the other raptors options at center but the frequency goes up i generally don't blame that on centers but i want to watch him a little bit more to see whether he could be doing more to alter shots because that is one way that centers really can change that proportion and it's it's kind of context dependent you have to take a look at certain guys to see where where that's coming from
1: yeah and another note in here is that their defensive rebounding gets a a lot worse when he's in the game that and he is one of these guys who's probably a little bit better on the offensive glass and the defensive glass but also you have to remember the context here right you just noted that they are shooting far more shots at the rim when he's in the game well what does that lead to more offensive rebounds right he's challenging shots and then he's out of position and they can get the rebound but you know and that also goes the opposite way too if you get an offensive rebound that's going to lead to more shots at the rim so those two things kind of go together um he is not really one of these Biggs, who's gonna operate at the elbows and dime guys up quite yet. He only has nine assists on the year. Uh when he, they put him in pick and roll, he is going to roll to the basket nearly every single time. He has shot on 41 rolls to the basket where he's been very efficient. Uh and he has taken one pick and pop <laughs> all year, uh, which was probably a late clock type of thing. Another thing to watch about him, well he is efficient, I think he's got pretty good hands. He's not that explosive, just in short area when he catches the pass without a big head of steel. Uh, He's only scoring 1.2 points per possession on uh, basket cuts slash dump offs, which is in the 22nd percentile. Uh, That's, you know, and that's for all players. So that's not very good. Uh, You know, he kind of goes up soft a a fair amount and he'll get a few blocked by guards. You know, he'll kind of go for more touch finishes when it's not a dunk. You know, he's just going to kind of, he's not going to get his shoulder into guys and create space as he's going up. And that said, he is very good at finding spots, both as the role man if someone drives the baseline he can flash in the lane to get a pass if someone drives from up top he'll find the open spot uh, along the baseline get open and finish with uh those hoffed hands um you, you know it's gonna be really interesting to see i don't they really have three guys that they can play at center between valanchunas Pirtle, and then ibaka you would imagine ibaka has been absolutely on fire lately i think he's 20 out of his last 35 three-pointers coming into today uh, he will likely close most of these games, and from what I've seen, I haven't watched a ton of Raptors lately. But the last couple games I've seen, his shot selection hasn't been as bad as it was in the playoffs last year and early in the year. I think they are kind of either got him to pass a little bit more. I mean, he's passed up a few more of these shots, and also they're just getting in the ball in a position where he's not necessarily having to make a decision, which he, as we have noted, does not excel at. Uh, anything else you want to say on these guys before we move on?
2: no let's jump to the Sixers. The Sixers are five hundred. They're fourteen and fourteen. One in five. Since the last 15 and 60 they're almost even in net rating as well negative uh 0.1 they're 19th in offense 11th in defense and so 538 puts their playoff odds at 60 percent. they did play one of the significant significant might uh, engaging games of the year that triple overtime <laughs> That triple overtime thriller against yeah. the Thunder. Joel
1: Embiid was engaged for forty nine minutes in that game.
2: Yeah, forty eight thirty nine, and that's why he's not playing against Chicago with back. Well, I mean, hope maybe that's why with back tightness. I was hoping for the DNP three OT, but I don't think we're gonna get that on this on the score sheet. And we could talk about that game a little bit, but where I wanted to start was. For the last couple of years, the Sixers have been terrible, terrible, terrible at turning the ball over. And young team still figuring things out, completely let it slide. This year, they're still young. Ben Simmons, you know, first NBA season is, is figuring things out, but they're last in the league in turnovers by almost a full percent. And that margin is the same from 29th to 17th. So they're pretty far beyond everybody else. And they can be better at that, of course, and they will have to be better. But you just think about even getting to like if they could get to 20th or league average in that they would just get more opportunities to be to be successful offensively i think there's some low-hanging fruit there that they can get better at
1: well part of their problem there is that they have a lot of guys on this team who turn the ball over quite a bit right ben simmons for all his brilliance he's usually driving into a packed lane where and he likes to throw spectacular passes and a lot of times especially for young players they're going to turn the ball over a fair amount he turns it over on 19.3 percent of his possessions and so that that's a huge number. You know, league average is 13% or so. And when we say his possessions, it's shot possessions that he finishes with a shot, free throw, or turnover. and Embiid has improved this year with his passing, but still a pretty high turnover player, prone to giving it up uh, on double teams. And then another guy that you were thought had an astronomical turnover rate was TJ McConnell. But, you know, you'll see that a lot from point guards of his ilk, guys who probe a lot, like to dribble, like to get it in the lane. Lane, but yet are not good finishers so they're just going to keep dribbling around they're going to look for a pass the more you dribble around the more you can get it stolen when you're not taking what for most players would be the logical shot as you get in the lane you're more prone to turnover. there's a reason why a lot of players like a Jamal Crawford or a Nick Young for example or a Dirk Nowitzki for that matter guys who are gunners they shoot the ball before they can turn it over that's why they have a low turnover rate whereas McConnell Ricky Rubio Rajon Rondo those type of guys are the opposite so it doesn't surprise me at all that his turnover rate is that high
2: i think it's more the extremeness of it so his 22.3 percent turnover is it puts him in the 0th percentile for point guards so it's not so much that he's on the low end that i would i would totally get that but being that far out because i agree with you that you have all those elements because remember remember what counts in the numerator and the denominator of that part is the you know there are a lot of plays that that he doesn't make but that's still really really high for for somebody who i never think of as throwing that many ambitious passes he throws some you know in traffic and things like that but uh, when i think of the guys who are who are high turnover in in they they have some of those like rubio has some of those where he just he just throws it because he thinks he can make it and so he can, and and he has kind of a lot of good good ones out there and i'm not saying mcconnell's a bad player or anything silly like that but i feel like he could tone that down a little bit and and be okay sure, sure. and uh,
1: absolutely and for mcconnell i mean he, he actually has shot the ball pretty well 57 yeah. percent true shooting for a guy who never takes threes almost never gets to the foul line like he's sh- a- compiling that nearly exclusively on just like fadeaway jump shots going across the lane that's like the only shot that he can hit well but he's he's been on fire there his shooting percentage he's at 49 percent from three to ten feet and uh 10 to 16 he's at 47 percent. actually he's shooting uh 56 on threes but that is on only 16 attempts a- all year um where did, and i guess oh last point too is that you know because of some of the injuries that they've had because of some of the ineffectiveness that they've had in terms of their players off the bench they've had to play McConnell and Simmons together quite a bit and that really especially if you're playing them with another center you know Embiid can space the floor a little bit but he's usually not standing out there and then you know Amir Johnson not really going to space the floor either so a lot of times when those guys are playing they're playing with each other and there's really just a total lack of spacing on the floor And I think that explains a lot why despite all of the solid talents they have on this team they are only th- that 19th ranked offense
2: do you want to talk at all about like some of the weird officiating and all that in the in the okc game or just leave that be uh,
1: you know I, I there was one thing that stuck out to me was you remember the play which was a pretty similar one to the one at the end of double ot where Embiid just cracked robertson and, and didn't get a call uh the thunder did a nice job of having robertson cut along the baseline to get open and part of the reason that worked though was the thunder's play was to get russell westbrook isolated on JJ Redick and it was really a defense only possession. I think there was only, you know, a 3 second differential shot to clock to game clock at that point. So clearly if you get the ball you're calling a timeout to advance it and you could, you know, there's no feeling of like oh no timeout we would just go right away here. We don't want to sub. So why not get JJ Redick out of the game at that point, get a better individual defender on the floor? I think the answer is that, you know, that would have had to have been TLC and TLC is really struggling right now not only from the field but also just you know I think Brett is not trust him late in games and so they just felt like they didn't have any other options Justin Anderson is, is out with the shin splints uh, and so it was just I still probably would have subbed out Reddick because he just well he does well as a team defender just him on Russell Westbrook is a emergency help situation and that's how Robertson was able to get open um and then of course like the league's last two minute reports did acknowledge that after that they uh were were deemed to have dribbled before a timeout was called and that was just pat incorrect like the Sixers should have been able to advance the ball and then they had to throw it in bounds and, and weren't able to get any kind of a shot uh from the backcourt uh at the end of that triple
2: overtime yeah that was frustrating as was the non-shooting foul when Stephen Adams put pushed Joel Embiid into Robert Covington which is supposed to be a shooting foul and if he makes the shot actually the Embiid would take the free throw they and they I think they okay, Philly ended up getting two points on that possession but it still did bother me
1: also this is doesn't have anything to do with the Sixers but steven adams getting his sixth foul in triple overtime is just so asinine just give them more fouls and i mean not after the first overtime but at least once you get into double ot like you're playing an additional eight minutes you basically get one foul for every eight minutes of play during regulation so just give them another foul like having these games be decided by attrition what should be classic nba games uh, is really disappointing um some sad news out of Delaware where Furkan Korkmaz as Derek Bodnar has often joked uh, keeps getting reassigned to the point that Bodner's pinned tweet right now is like the stock quote from the cut and paste Sixers press release about like when Korkmaz was drafted and stuff uh, about how he's going back and forth from Philly to Delaware but in Delaware towards the end of the game he suffered a Liz Frank injury which is not a good uh, foot injury as well you'd have to imagine if that's the case he it will be out for the year if it's significant they haven't released any kind of a timetable yet but not good There's a big time for him to develop they could use another scoring type of guy in the pipeline in the ideal version of this team eventually and you know corkmaz needed more time to develop and i mean i guess he can get a little stronger in his upper body maybe that's the one nice thing about this but uh still uh disappointing for him
2: let's move on to the orlando magic the magic are 11 and 20 1 and 6 since the last 15 and 60 they have a negative 4.4 net rating which puts and 26th in the league they are 17th in offense 27th in defense and have a 5% chance of making the playoffs according to 538
1: yeah and their bench I mean Aaron Gordon missed today so that's how Hazonia got out there we'll talk about his big game today with the 28 points uh they've been playing as we mentioned that's been killing them this Biambo and Spates combination off the bench Spates has been absolutely horrendous in December he is 4 of 33 from the field 2 of 18 from 3 and for a guy who actually used to be an effective scorer inside, he uh, long since has lost whatever athleticism remained to him. And so he's 2 of 14 on two-pointers in this uh, month uh, as well. And, uh, you know, he's not exactly out there for his defense either. So safe to say that he is has been ineffective. And then another guy who showed up on uh, this list that John Schumann of NBA.com tweeted out, uh, Wesley Windu is uh, 10 out of 33 this month as well and he's another guy who's just been forced into some duty here uh, playing 123 minutes this month and clearly someone who is not nba ready and so you know with gordon missing some time now they really are just so thin in terms of like solid nba players even after you look at the fact that you know they had some issues just structurally with this team to begin with and you know they're missing terrence ross as well Aaron aflalo didn't play against the pistons to a back injury evan fournier with that sprained ankle against the Hawks did not play as well. Gordon suffered a strained right calf, so we'll see how long he's gonna be out with that. He says it's not that severe, but uh again, the kind of thing that can easily be re injured. At least John Isaac came back on Sunday, uh, had one point and two rebounds uh, off the bench. So at least he might be like one reason to bother watching this team going forward. But uh, you know, it started so promisingly for this team, and uh I think it's gonna to get to the point now where whether it's his fault or not which I don't think it is actually I think he's done a decent enough job with this team uh you know the Frank Vogel watch could be on considering that he was not brought in by this front office group
2: I will object to your watchability statement for this team considering (laughs) Hazonia Hazonia dropped 28 points in this game and it, it is a little bit so they lost by four to Detroit today and so you go oh they lost by four to Detroit it is a little bit overstated because Hazonia hit two threes in the last 23 seconds to make this margin look a little bit closer but that's part of the eternal glory that is mario and zonia and so he started at power forward in this one and <laughs> It was so reminiscent of games of shooters, even shooters who are better than he is, where the early shots he got, he made because they were better shots than some of the ones he started taking as he built more confidence. But he did make a couple of those just tough threes because what I've always enjoyed about him, part of why I was high on him originally, is that it doesn't he doesn't always feel guys that are close enough that you kind of think he should. And that in certain situations, that's negative yeah. with him. I kind and of he's think tall. It was, he's tall. He's yeah.
1: usually got the size advantage on whoever's guarding him and he has a high quality quick release
2: he does and so there were a couple plays where like there was one where drummond closed him in the corner there was another one where tobias harris was kind of scrambling back a couple times and he just didn't care he just t- just took that shot and it was amusing because he was eight of twelve from three and one of five in the paint got blocked by drummond once on a nice play got blocked by canard once and had one where he just biffed the lamp he should, it was actually so of his first three shots i thought that was his cleanest look and he and he, and he biffed it but he does have this talent like i mean i I think that he's probably better served to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond at this point at least for a couple years maybe he could even do something like on vesely but i
1: mean there there aren't very many uh, are you talking about a smaller pond like across the pond yes (laughs) because there aren't there aren't many smaller nba ponds than what orlando has been these last few years
2: there are a couple but yeah i i'm thinking more you know acb or one of the other competitive european leagues wherever you'd want to be and because he does have this talent to score but and he can't create as much separation against got nba players and so when the separation is created for him he can capitalize he can he can do a decent job there and
1: well, well you know I, I i disagree with that a little bit because i mean to me it's all about just the ball not going in for him right like i mean if he was if he were just the same player but he were making you know 38 percent of his threes yeah we'd be talking about him in, in a completely different light and instead you know he's a 32 percent career three-point shooter i mean he's 35 percent his rookie year he now is 19 out of 48 this year after today game uh but I, I mean i think the more disappointing thing than that too is just you know how little else he does on the right, floor, and, right? That, you know, he's, and that's what i was ahead. getting
2: at because yeah. the I, I was somebody who saw him as a potential starter and the line for him like i think he could still be a rotation player but he doesn't have those other skills to to prop his game up so even when he's not shooting he's contributing he's not doing that right now and i still believe that there is a place for him somewhere uh, and i it but it is still nice for him because he does have this shooting talent and confidence to have a game like this let's
1: get to the Knicks 16 and 13 a very solid five and two especially considering that Porzingis has missed time he suffered for some what he turned knee instability and is not believed to be serious but he didn't play uh, against Oklahoma City which they a a game that they dominated nonetheless they have a 0.6 net rating offensive rating ninth in the NBA and defensive rating is 17th both of those well above Above where I expected them to be. Still a 39% chance at making the playoffs, and at sixteen and thirteen, why is it so low? Well, they've played just a crap ton of home games.
2: Yeah, so they've played nineteen games at home. They're 14 and 5, and they've played 10 games on the road and they're two and eight. And yes, their road games have been against better opponents. But there is this thing I I noted this as I was kind of going through and looking at their stats is there are 20 teams that have positive home net ratings, and there are only nine that have positive road net ratings. gives you kind of another way of calibrating the difference in home court advantage is just where those teams are and yeah. and that's well, going if to you turn also
1: look at yeah if you also just look at the difference between the home and road net rating though as you as you said i mean that's like oh. if they had played and as you mentioned the road schedule is a little bit harder but not that much harder because they haven't played any games in pacific or mountain time zone yet either, correct you know which and the pacific division sucks other than golden state but nonetheless i mean those are tough road trip games from a travel perspective
2: when well, they have a seven game road trip coming up but so the Knicks so they've had this big split you know basically double double the home games the road games but they only play two more home games in 2017 those are against Boston and Philadelphia so one real tough opponent one pretty tough opponent depending on if Embiid plays and then four home games and 12 road games in January so the rubber is going to meet the road very very quickly with them and we can see how they do it because they do have this capability I mean they've been better defensively than I thought of course they've been better offensively Porzingis being a big part of that but also contributions from guys like Courtney Lee who i think has had an underappreciated year in that sense and the fact that they've done this with better point guard play than i expected but that's because i expected abysmal point guard play is very impressive
1: yeah and that game against oklahoma city was remarkable michael beasley just abusing ex-nick carmelo anthony to the tune of 30 points the knicks continued a strategy that had been very effective for the pacers especially down the stretch going right at carmelo in pick and roll or in isolation it continued to be a major problem defensively uh, I mean they even had like Courtney Lee attacking and pick and roll with Carmelo as the big defender and-, and Lee is having a nice season but certainly no renowned pick and roll operator I thought that Kylo Quinn also had a really nice defensive game protecting the rim and as well as he's played uh, that I guess justify I mean especially if they're over 500 right now I mean that justifies actually how little Hernan Gomez Willie Hernan Gomez has played
2: yeah he's only played 153 minutes this entire season which is about a third of what Kyle Quinn has played and Kylo. Quinn has played well I'm not saying that to begrudge Kyle Quinn. and almost one-third about 50 of those minutes came in the three games that Ennis Cantor missed at the end of November so really he's played more like a hundred minutes in the more balanced part of it and again remember other guys have missed time too and what's notable to a point about that is is Aaron Gomez's per minute numbers are not that different he's just playing a lot less and the Knicks context is very different of course so I'm still hopeful I, I obviously I'm not in their practices I haven't talked to Jeff a sec about why this is happening but I think a lot of it is just you know a numbers game that Ennis Kanter jumped in late jumped in over the rotation and even though Noah's basically been out of it they just still have so many other options and he's the odd man out
1: I've liked what Hornacek has done so far this year Uh, considering their utter limitations at point guard to be ninth in offense is just so impressive to me he is finally really getting absolutely the most out of Chris Stabs Porzingis I mean he really was coaching with both hands tied behind his back Last year, with all this triangle bullshit he was forced to do. And I'm glad that he has gotten a chance really to do what he wants to be doing for good or for ill. And I think it's been for good. You know, he's had a lot of success using Channing Fry, who obviously is much more limited than Porzingis, but has some similar attributes, you know, in pick and pop and helping point guards get to the rim, helping to create. He's also just unleashed Porzingis as an isolation player. And just, I've really liked what we've seen from him. I think his rotations. Have made sense. You know, he's not starting Nilakina. when Nilakina has it. He's been closing games. They went back to Jarrett Jack instead in this one against OKC because Nilakina wasn't playing quite as well. They wanted more experience out there. I think he's largely been pushing the right buttons. He has had absolutely no qualms about just you know relegating Joakim Noah to a permanent spot behind the Knicks bench, not even on the Knicks bench. And with Hernan Gomez, yeah, you know there he could have perceived organizational pressure to play him. We thought it was weird and and maybe not the right. move Moved. they weren't playing him but O'Quinn has been so good O'Quinn 18.6 PER 60 percent true shooting and then they've gotten a lot out of Ennis Cantor as well but generally have not closed the game with Cantor but they're keeping him engaged by starting him and it, he's helped the, their offense get to that ninth ranking so I think it's for them to be sixty and 13 I mean they're going to drop off for sure with the road schedule coming up some of the health issues that they've had uh it's been impressive for him to get this much out of a limited group despite the favorable schedule
2: absolutely and I mean when you think about where we thought they were going to be before the season to to be at this point even with that sample is 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 great yeah another
1: guy he's gotten a lot out of too is Doug McDermott you know with with his cutting they've run he's run plays specifically to unleash McDermott as a cutter that those flare plays that they ran at the end of the Lakers game so uh yeah lots of good things to say about Hornacek but yeah let us uh move on now to uh the Milwaukee Bucks who also talk about the Bulls in this one because I, I watched their the Bulls the end of the bulls won uh, on friday but let's start with uh, the box here
2: bucks are 15 and 13 3 and 4 since the last 15 and 60 slight negative net rating negative one which puts them 18th 10th in offense 23rd in defense and i want to talk a little bit about that and so they combine they have a 68 percent chance of making the playoffs per 538 and actually where we should start just briefly is the is the personnel move we, we get a chance to talk about that they are going to waive gary payton ii who is at pretty much the end of his two-way contract and they will sign sean kilpatrick who was waived by the nets in the in the moves that they made and it sounds like jason kidd and the locker room are not thrilled with that development
1: well and I'm not thrilled with it either not that I think Gary Payton is that great you know and he's been playing because of the myriad injuries they've had Tony Snell still dealing with left knee tendonitis; he's missed over a week now Jason Terry has been out with a calf injury Del Vadova his own knee tendinitis and then the scary news that Mirza Teletovic has had uh, a recurrence of his pulmonary emboli so they are really light on shooting they've kind of had to play Payton and that's why he's bent the requisite 45 days with the big club but hey guess what like this isn't how how it's supposed to work right you're not supposed to be well you were so good and we needed you so much that we used up your 45 days and now we're going to release you because we need someone else who can actually play uh we'll sign to another two-way and play and bring him up for another 45 days i mean it's it, although i'm not sure kilpatrick's being signed to a two-way but for whatever reason it, they felt like you know they can't keep him now in the d-league and they feel like hey there's no reason or, or the g-league i should say if we can't use him with the big team we're not going to continue to pay him what would have been a nice g-league salary it's the equivalent of about seventy five thousand per season prorated because if we can't use him he's useless to us so we're just going to release him i mean that's just it, it seems like this is our first unintended consequence of that rule where it's like we needed you so much and you played so well that that is now resulting in us having to release you
2: and it's not like especially after the bledsoe monroe trade when they actually cleared out some luxury tax base that they're at such a, a buffer that they couldn't afford to pay him they can they can do something and it is the the I I think the best peril of this is actually the idea that these diet guys don't count against your 15 man roster because you have you have to make a decision at a certain point and it's it's framed in a different way for teams that have 15 guys because they can't just they can't just add them they have to make a subtraction to tie it in
1: yeah and i think it's certainly defensible especially with the lack of shooting that they have to go with kilpatrick instead of payton i think kilpatrick is better than payton but to then also say hey you know we need another two-way guy who we can actually bring up at times which they just wouldn't be able to do with payton is really too bad that he had to move on from him. A, a few notes uh, about their games over the weekend. I thought DeAndre Liggins, uh, although Harden was dealing with a, a bruised knee, did a really nice job uh, on James Harden. Um, they were one of the better defensive jobs that we've seen against Houston, in part because of Liggins, although obviously they absolutely never guard him. And then having to play both him and Peyton at the same time was just, you know, you had no chance of scoring with those two guys out there. Um, another observation I had. Both in the Houston game and the Bulls game, you know we've been Thon Maker is probably be right up there. I think for both of us as one of our most disappointing players of the year. But they're using him totally wrong and kid for the you know the lifetime 36 percent three-point shooter recently said hey you know you should focus more on long twos well there's two problems with that when he actually shoots it it's a way less efficient shot and more importantly if he's just going to be standing inside all the time there's a team that already struggles for spacing why do you want to have another guy in Giannis's way like if they just played him and when he was out there they just say hey you know what unless you're setting a screen you're just not allowed to go inside the three-point line uh or unless you're you know going in for a transition layup we want you to either set a screen and pop or we want you to just stand in the corner they would just be so much better and and turning to their game against the bulls they really struggled to score down the end and there was not a ton of imagination in the offense they're trying to just you know attack one-on-one and then do a dribble pitch or maybe have a couple of smalls screen for each other but they weren't able to get enough spacing to facilitate those dribble attacks now the Bulls had some pretty good individual defenders out there on the wing but you know they had Miritich out there they had Bobby Portis in theory you should be able to just run some pick and roll and like space those guys out and attack or get one of those guys switched on to Giannis and let him attack or one of those guys switched on to Bledsoe and let him attack but their approach really was enabling the Bulls to just almost play like a zone defense by just continually gapping off the guy next to him it was like the Bucks had like a guy on the wing a guy at the top and another guy on the wing and then one guy hanging out on the baseline and so they just they just didn't have the spacing and there wasn't really anything going on off the ball and it just ended up being Middleton god if I have to not watch another like Middleton ISO post up like a, you know he's not even that bad at it but it's just like you think that this team could be so much more and he's an Another guy too who should just be like spacing out way more than he is I mean and if you look at if you compare the way they play offense to say Boston right now they don't have an Al Horford they don't have a Kyrie Irving I get that but what they want to do the Bucks, is like oh we've got guys you know like a Chris Middleton and a Jason Tatum are kind of like somewhat similar players with the, the way they like to play but for like Tatum he hangs out at the three-point line or they run stuff to get him the ball on the move and then he can attack with an advantage and so few times do you see a buck player catching the ball off a closeout and being able to attack it with an advantage. It's very frustrating.
2: It is. And one one thing that's been interesting to watch this year, kind of going more towards the Bulls side of this, is oh, wait,
1: wait, one more thing on, on the sure, Bucks too. Uh they had three three shot fouls that they committed against the Bucks. And then I think just in the third quarter against the Rockets, or maybe it was in the second half against the Rockets actually, that's what I've written down. Uh they committed fouls on three point shooters time. And those are both games that, you know, they were kind of in it at the end. And if they don't commit those fouls, maybe they are right in it at the end.
2: Yeah, and
1: uh, and and last thing too. Sorry, sure. they actually. I mean, they closed with Giannis at center because they felt like you know going against that Portis Miritic front court, and they still like couldn't get any spacing and couldn't get any offense down the end. I mean, there uh, it really was. It, it seemed like they just did not have good spacing and a good idea of what they wanted to do because if you just look at personnel versus personnel, like they should have been able to score against that Bulls lineup.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, and it it is a, a, a frustration sometimes with the Bucks just because you see this what the sum of their parts could be and that they have i mean they and they have before this l- recent swoon they have been doing better with, with since blood they were killing it for a while with Bloodsoe. Oh, but
1: and i do have three more notes here sorry <laughs> to keep interrupting it I'm, I'm a little disorganized here so they did seem to be up higher on the floor with some of their traditional bigs um and then they're also they've been doing this thing where they've been asking Giannis and middleton to play traditional big man pick and roll defense instead of switching and so they got beat one time where middleton at the start of the fourth quarter where Middleton didn't realize that he should have been switching on a, a, a pick and roll uh, up top between you know uh, I think it was Grant and, and Miritich um, I also think that Malcolm Brogdon I'm continuing to sour on his defense I really it's been a long time since I've seen him make a good defensive play and he really seems to get beat quite a bit in, in individual defense and it has not been that effective as a switch guy either and at least one nice thing that I can say about them Giannis seems to be shooting with less hesitation from the perimeter you know he's not just like passing up Shots as much when he's open. And then another nice thing that I can say is I really liked a play that they ran at the end of the quarter. Instead of just doing an ISO, they do, they went into a dribble pitch action, but at least they only had like a two-guard front instead of a three-guard front. I guess a one guard front, but they have two guys in the wing. Uh, and so there actually was more space. So they actually had Middleton attack middle from the left wing and then pitch it off to Giannis, setting a screen on Giannis's guy as he did so, and then Giannis was able to get in the lane. It's a nice way to basically run an ISO, make sure you run the time down but still actually get at least some kind of movement and, and impetus going to the basket so i think that's that's one that i like and hopefully we'll see more teams start to run that than just the straight up iso at the end of the quarter and now we are ready for uh my chicago bulls since they are uh I, i'm reclaiming them since they have won five straight
2: yeah i mean i i sarcastically after i think it was their second one called them the unbeatables and they still haven't lost since then beating the bucks included in that so let's do their fundamentals first and then we can talk about a couple different things with them they are 8 and 20 5 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 they are uh negative 7.3 net rating which is 28th, 29th in offense 19th in defense and they do have a 2 percent chance of making the playoffs per 538 and in the five games since nicole miritich came back they are 12th in offensive rating third in defensive rating third in net rating and miritich is averaging 20 points including three of six from three per game and 6.2 rebounds and uh,
1: we miritich has gotten the headlines but there's also actually gotten David Nwaba back and uh, Nwaba can't shoot at all from outside he takes forever to load up it's one of these like high arcers that you know it looks like he's shot putting it up there and you just have no idea where it could come down but he really has provided somebody although he's undersized on the wing who can at least like pretend to guard 3s uh, on this team Paul Zipser really failed in that role he's more of a combo forward and he can't hit a shot this year uh, Denzel Valentine who's been starting and, and not to great effect even as they have won these last few games uh but Nawaba closed the game it was a portis miritich front court against the bucks and then they had Nawaba, Dunn, and justin holiday and that trio actually was able to defend on the perimeter pretty well i I was killing the bucks earlier for their lack of imagination but those guys did well they helped they're able to get back to their guys and they were connected and they avoided mistakes uh not that the bucks offense puts a lot of pressure on you in terms of like forcing you to make decisions as a defense but uh, nuova 6.2 net rating on the season and that's 16 games so it doesn't it includes outside of this winning streak and he had missed almost a month with a sprained ankle and then miritich also 6.0 net rating when he's been on the floor but you're right Danny. the story really has been defensively and fred hoiberg jim boylan former spurs assistant uh, deserve credit for the way that this team has defended
2: and now that they can play you know guys that that can do that and they've been Getting enough offense from the other players to to handle it. I mean, if you're third of defense, you can you can do pretty well. But I don't think that's going to continue. But they they can really produce. And something that I found interesting with them is so Lowry Markinen has missed the last three games due to back issues. I I saw it as back so at one point. I don't know if that's what the kind of what the current prognosis on it is. So they've been starting this five of Chris Dunn, Denzel Valentine, Justin Holiday, Miritich, and Robin Lopez. And that five hasn't been great, but it has actually kind of open the door for some of their other combinations that have done really well and maybe my favorite stat about this win streak is the
1: one-two punch the one the 2 unstoppable punch, unstoppable one-two punch per uh csn chicago csn or, or chicago or NBC, nbc sports chicago i should
2: say that's right uh so they they those guys have played 54 minutes together yeah, they yeah, have mirtich a mirtich and portis by the mirtich way and portis. Who we're talking about 54 minutes 131.5 offensive rating plus 34.3 net rating I mean, those lineups are playing a lot against backups, but that's okay. You know, you could beat you could beat backups. And the one big piece that I would like to see, just because I don't think Valentine, from what I when I've watched them, I don't think Valentine is adding so much to their to their offense. Is just really see if they can go a little bit harder on defense and and try and wobble. Just because I like when a guy is a defensive three to play them against starters, because most teams' best offensive three starts.
1: Yeah, and really with marketing coming back, I mean, Mircic has played so well, the team has played so well. I mean. I mean, if you're trying to win games, which maybe they're not, but I, I think you really have to continue starting Miritich at this point because he's clearly a, a better player right now than Markton. And, and Mirtich has had a good sense of humor. He said, uh, "Yeah, it's amazing I'm shooting this well when it's not March because usually he only has shots in, in March." So we'll see whether he continues to, to score or not. I mean, it, but it's nice to see him get back to more diversity in his game, like in the Bucks game, which wasn't his best shooting game of the season. He faced up, drove to his right along the baseline, and then from the right base. Line turned back right shoulder uh, and hit a fadeaway. He hit the game icing shot where he cut into the lane and then got fouled and threw up some crap and and hit off the top of the backboard and and went in. Um, But he's starting to make his presence felt more physically, getting to the foul line a little bit more. And then of course he's actually making his three pointers, which you know has always been the issue with him. He'll shoot a lot of them, but not necessarily make them. So that's been important for him. And then Bobby Portis had a career high twenty seven off the bench. He's up to a. 20 PR right now now that certainly overrates his contributions because as well as this team has defended when he's been on the floor 111 offensive rating which would be worse in the league type of level but they do score when he's out there at 107.9 sorry
2: 111 oh, defensive rating. rating
1: oh did I say offensive
2: you did I just want yeah. to make totally sure uh well yes 111
1: defensive rating 107.9 offensive rating um so he can't defend it all they play him at center he can't protect the rim he can't really slide his feet but um so he's always going to be a defensive liability but at at least he's, he's been helping offensively and this is a team that needs all the scoring help that they can get um anything else you want to say on these guys before we uh move on here
2: no i i mean we'll hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about them a little bit more just and now that they are a more relevant team and when they get zach levine back yeah. of course they'll they're, be they're they'll at be... least
1: watchable now
2: right oh I mean, yeah it's like i I,
1: marketing. in you know i hopefully those two guys will play together that'll be really fun to watch i, I, I focus yeah
2: i focus mostly on the fourth quarter of that bucks game and, and i was engaged the whole time and i mean there's just they they've been defending well the way that they were approaching the bucks specific flaws i thought was excellent and you talked about that earlier but yeah i've i've heartily enjoyed them the last while. so let's yeah, talk I know, about the-
1: i know my buddy uh bulls blogger has really been uh apoplectic about them actually winning <laughs> winning these games uh and it also would be remiss and not quickly discussing chris dunn who has yeah. been still overall in the season the numbers are not great 48 percent true shooting but has actually been creating shots has been a force defensively Uh, getting a steal on 3.5% of opponent possessions and getting on the glass as as well, starting the fast break. And then uh, Jerry and Grant actually has been hitting some shots as well. They've been starting to get semi-competent point guard play done, just yo-yos. He's been incredibly inconsistent as we talked about, uh, I think, last time. But, uh, you know, he's he's showing some more promise. You know, if he were uh, 21 years old right now, I'd be really excited about his future.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the Pacers. Pacers are... 17-13, 17 and 13, 5 and 2 since the last 15 and 60, though one of their losses was the game we did for the Twitter NBA show, of course, the Paul George return game. They are plus 1.4 net rating, which puts them 11th, 6th in offense, 18th in defense, 78% chance of making the playoffs. And one of their most impressive games during this time was giving Cleveland their only loss in their last 19 games.
1: Yeah, I wish I had had that game on my roster, but Ola Depot in that game was just ridiculous. He got up 13 three point attempts making six of them and made another three out of six on jumpers outside the paint so he just continues to light it up and again uh he was four of six on threes again today against brooklyn finishing nine of 14 overall for 24 points so really another spectacularly efficient game and he has the highest usage of any wing in the nba uh that's with cleaning the glasses version of that stat which includes a uh, assist rate as well um so he has been outstanding I and mean, how long does this have to go on before you're like willing to accept that like this is the level that's gonna
2: it's gonna have to go on a while for it to be this level but you could take a couple steps down and yeah. i think we're close so probably i think for me end of january beginning of february something in that range to to think that this is more like that just because you get yeah. the, the the game by game, but remember like we talked about this when we did the twitter and bay show like he struggled against paul george there are not many paul george's in the league right. i i'm not majorly yeah, and, and concerned about.
1: and then they they found a way to get him going by yeah. small small pickup rolls attack somebody else who isn't as good or, or attack a, a weak big in pick and roll so you know if you have a great individual defender on you even there are ways around that sometimes you know you don't necessarily have to be able to beat the opposition's best guy to be effective every time
2: so i've talked before about how they they have a spectacular foul rate oh, wait, in terms can of I say
1: one more thing on, on Olive depot too sure of course the amazing thing about what he's doing if you think back to what the scouting report was on him when he was drafted it was man amazing athlete plays so hard great defensive player right now he's gonna go in be able to guard the best one or two uh, on the other team great finisher at the rim incredibly athletic jump shot a major question mark well guess what like and and passing a major question mark feel for the game major question mark his passing and which has improved so much this year and his jump shot like the two best things about his game and his defense and his finishing at the rim are probably the two worst things about his game right now (laughs) it's like it's absolutely remarkable that somehow he involved into being the exact opposite of what he was supposed to be uh, as a draft prospect
2: yeah that's a great point i hadn't thought about it in that full context but you're right so what i wanted to ask you about was i have fixated a little bit on the idea with them this year watching them and going through sets i mean it's both with them that they really don't foul very much and i have posited the idea that i feel like that's there's there's some concerning elements of that do you agree with that or do you just think they're just good at not fouling being vertical that sort of thing
1: well you made the point that turner is contested the most shots in the league at the rim per game and that Sabonis is up there as well despite his limited minutes um and that they're not allowing a ton of shots at the rim so it seems like you know they're when they do allow a shot at the rim it it is contested and so if that's the case they're doing a decent job of, of not following it and I think Sabonis he is actually a solid guy with verticality like he he uses his mobility kind of like you know Cody Zeller has done where he can get his chest in front of guys and really use that as his weapon to Force misses at the rim. Turner, you know, that doesn't really match up as much with the eye test for me because I see him as a guy who more comes out of nowhere to block shots when he does block shots and isn't necessarily there as much. So that doesn't match up as well, that stat with, with the, the eye test for me. um And then, I mean, a lot of their perimeter guys, too, are just guys who are kind of, you know, not following just because they're not really aggressive enough on the perimeter, you know, like Boyan or, or a, a daring Colson. Corey Joseph is is usually avoided fouls. He's, he can get a little bit more aggressive but they don't depot as well I mean they don't really have anyone on the perimeter who's gonna like get into you and I think that that to some degree I think if you're committing more fouls off the ball and out in the perimeter sometimes that's a good thing you know and that's really the aggressiveness that they're kind of missing here um what do you think about what they've gotten out of these big because you know they've got Young who's a, a solid modern four man he's taking more threes this year you know hitting him at an okay enough rate but he's been more aggressive with it uh, and you know he's a nice fit with both Sabonis and Turner but then what happens when they play Turner and Sabonis together how do those three combination work out
2: they've been starting Turner and Young for the most part and that group the, they, the Pacer starters have done well I mean broadly speaking and with those two because that can be different lineups of course they're positive in net rating I think they've looked good with those guys on the floor there are weaknesses on the defensive glass to be to be sure I mean there's some some flaws there and against the best teams I think there'll be other things that can be exploited yeah I mean it's not like
1: this defense is any good Right. I mean, right. They're, they're, right, right, right. The eighteenth defense, which is you know passable considering how good their offense been sixth in the NBA. I mean, it's just crazy that they're that good.
2: It is. And Sabonis and Turner has been underwater. There, there were some moments when that looked really intriguing, but I just, th- I just think it takes both of them out of what they do well defensively, and then offensively, you know, it, it's not like they're a ton of value added there. So it's more of like you know, if you have to do the minutes to make both guys happy, I think you can go to it a little bit. They've only played it one hundred and six, so it's not like it's get heavy burn and then Sabonis Young I think that it's fine you know especially because you're not starting it you know but they they had they did that's a lot of when those minutes were played was when uh Miles Turner had the concussion so I think I think that's more of like a, a backup like when Turner sits and in that context it's fine but I don't think it's good enough to start if you want to be the p- team the Pacers want to be which it seems like they might actually you know the, the fact that they're there have a serious shot at the playoffs you're like they need to start thinking about this a little bit differently
1: move on to Detroit they lost Five straight, and now have won three straight, getting a nice win. Indiana sandwiched in between a win at Atlanta, a nice blowout win, and then beating the Magic in a game that wasn't as close as the four-point margin indicated. Orlando was down by like 15 in the fourth quarter and hit a bunch of shots late to kind of make it respectable in desperation time, as you mentioned with Izonia. Part of that, but now 17 and 13, they are that three and five uh, since we last checked in on them. 0.7 net rating is 14th in the 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 NBA. They possess the 15th ranked offense and the 12th ranked defense given a 74% chance of making the playoffs via 538. Your thoughts?
2: early in the year they were they were doing well offensively and they were struggling a little bit defensively and it it always felt wrong to me like it just didn't seem like the offensive part of it and what what has happened over time is their defense has gotten way better and they deserve immense credit for that it does help when you play the magic after their three-point regression and and of course the hawks have been struggling massively on the offensive end as we will talk about in the future but they've done a nice job overall game by game i mean you could go through just just myriad ones and i think they've done a nice job but the offensive profile now, so we're getting there, you know, 30 games into the season, it's getting a lot closer to last year in terms of the shots they're taking and the key elements of it, and that should be a concern for them, because they're not getting fouled, they're not shooting much at the rim, and they're getting you know, last year they had the the highest proportion of mid-range shots in the league, you don't want that they're not all the way there, I think they're like 8th or 10th, something in that range, but what's been the massive difference is they're shooting from 3, so last year they were, 24% of their shots were from 3, and they made 34% of those now they're shooting 31 so that's a seven percent jump a much higher proportion and they're shooting 38 so they've basically not only yes, turned 31% their long of twos, their
1: shots from three 38 from percent in, made. in terms of percentage yeah
2: okay. right so so they've turned their long twos into threes and they're making more threes so depending on how you feel about how sustainable that is you can do it but something else I wanted to mention is that I think it was no that was on the Twitter NBA show, it wasn't on 1560. I talked about how the pacers part of how their three-point shooting has been so good is that they just don't have that many guys that are bad shooters taking them the pistons have they're not all the way there but they're a lot closer where stanley johnson is their lance stevenson the guy who can't really shoot and shoot sometimes but with if reggie jackson he's at 37 now that's better than his career average like if those guys can be at least solid then they don't really have that many bad shooters and they have a lot of guys that are kind of above their career highs but not too far above their career highs so even if they take a step back they can still be a whole heck of a lot better than they were
1: yeah and one source of optimism for their uh improving Their offensive profile is Reggie Bullock has actually taken over the starting role for Johnson, who did not start in their blowout loss at home against Denver on Tuesday. Bullock played 22 minutes in that one and has played 24 more in the last three games, 10 out of 15 on threes during that period, and overall shooting 66%. Now, on the season, despite that explosion, he still is shooting only 29% from three, so let's not go too crazy yet but i think he's providing now a little bit more versatility for whereas johnson you know just could not hit a shot still and you know i i think if you just read between the lines here not a guy necessarily that seems to be fitting in that well to their team culture with the way that he gets yo-yoed around and you know i still think the much bigger issue is just the ball doesn't go in the basket when he shoots it and i have been impressed with his individual defense but doesn't seem like the greatest team or attitude guy at least in the perception of Stan Van Gundy and so Bullock has had such a star-crossed career every time it seems like he's on the verge of maybe earning a substantial role he ends up having some kind of a knee injury and that happened at the start of this year as well but hopefully he can keep that up because I really think with him at the three getting one more guy who can defend passively he's not as good as Stanley is defensively but who can defend passively and hit shots that that really could open up the offense for this team to have three legitimate three-point shooters at all times around Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, and also to help space the floor on the weak side with all the dribble handoff stuff that they love to run with Bradley and Tobias Harris.
2: Something else that could be important with Bullock, if he can stay healthy, is that they got a second year on his contract at 2.5 million. And it's non-guaranteed. It has a, I think it's mid-July guarantee date. So the Pistons look like they're going to be right up against it in terms of the luxury tax, depending on what happens with Avery Bradley, of course. And so having players who are, he's not. Not, you know he's not on a, a rookie scale contract but having players who are productive who can be a part of your team at a reasonable cost makes those more makes those things more possible we'll see if Luke canard can get there as well just if he can have just a rock solid rotation spot like yeah i think he's played really well this year i think that's where they should be looking for him next year too so
1: yeah. and maybe if they can get Reggie playing well enough they might feel okay letting Bradley go if he gets some exorbitant offer elsewhere and then just using the mid level to try and bring in some more depth pieces and Van Goody had a nice quote about Bullock uh, who had 20 points today he said he's the most conscientious guy of doing all the things that we want to do run move without the ball move the basketball be in the right spots defensively and pressure the ball and so hopefully he'll continue to play well I mean it's just of course as it is with all these three and D guys I mean it's so it's so difficult with all them because number one just determining who's good on defense can be difficult I mean you can tell who's a good one-on-one defender but you know as a team defender you really got to watch it and see that you can't you got to watch like full games you can't just watch like clips to figure that out and then you know so much depends on their three-point shooting and it's just you know it takes so long to know whether a guy is a good shooter and i mean that's why determining who a good three and d guy is eventually going to be or even is you know from right now right like who is a good three and d guy last month because he made his shots might not even be a good three and d guy uh next month because he didn't or even from a year-to-year basis you know if you like a kent basemore or something is a perfect example of that who's just fortunes of total wax and wane based on whether his sweep warner is is going in so the hope is that he can continue to produce it at a reasonable level that was what he was supposed to be coming out of North Carolina low those many years ago Uh, but we'll see whether he can maintain this role or not take a look now at Indochino the idea of buying a made-to-measure suit whether for yourself or for someone else uh, as a gift would have seemed preposterous I mean that's like over a thousand dollars are you really going to spend that much uh, on a gift Uh, probably not but now that any premium Indochino Chino made-to-measure suit is available for just $359 when entering that familiar cap-based code at checkout, it finally is realistic to get a suit that actually fits you. For me, I'm kind of an oddly shaped guy. I'm about 6'6". I've got big shoulders, but not the biggest chest. And so to get something that fit my shoulders off the rack, it would just be like a tent on me. And they're like, oh yeah, we can tailor it. Don't worry. It'll look right. Eh, you know, I guess so. I, I would always get it. And I would like, you know, feel like it was still too big in the chest and some area and so a couple times i even asked them to redo it and they just couldn't do it i was like all right i guess this is just how it's gonna be and then once i started with indochino i was like no it can actually fit me it can actually fit you you can get it something that is made to measure for you it's really easy to go onto their website send them your measurements they have a tutorial there or you can go into one of their north american showrooms they've got one in vancouver san francisco that's the one that i went to boston i think they got one in new york as well a few other places and you're not now limited to the choices that they have on the rack you can pick got your fabric choose your customizations submit your measurements and then you place your order and wait for it to arrive in just a few weeks those customizations could be your lapel size could be the lining a monogram nearly every aspect of the suit can be customized once again the way to get started with them and get 50 percent off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit enter that cap space code at indochino.com get your free shipping pay just 359 dollars. again with that cap space code let them know with that code that you came from Oh, the Charlotte Hornets.
2: Yeah. I was Hornets, much more
1: excited for the Indochino read than the Hornets, be honest.
2: That's justifiable. But the Hornets are 10 and 19, 2 and 6 since the last 15 and 60, negative 1.9 net rating, which is actually pretty impressive when you think about what we're going to talk about in a minute. They are 21st in offense, 14th in defense, and 538 still gives them a 19% chance of making the playoffs. I think that's high, but there are of course there are other factors we've talked before about the potential of trading kemba Walker. And where this team is being being Sabotaged is, you know, when Kemba's on, on the floor, and a lot of times it's, you know, starters versus starters, they're doing well. They have a plus six net rating. But when Kemba Walker is on the bench, they're getting outscored by 18 points per 100 possessions, including a 90 offensive rating.
1: Oof. Yeah. And Michael Carter Williams, his stats this year, and this is just his box score stats, too. And, and because he can't shoot, it, it, it's even worse when you consider the effect on the team. 8.3 PR, 40% true shooting. League average is 50 percent and turning it over on 19% of his possessions. And then you consider the fact that anytime he doesn't have the ball, they don't guard him. And his three-pointer, I mean, it somehow regressed from where it was even as a rookie when he had more of a green light when he was playing in Philly. Just remarkable how bad he's been. I mean, and you know, this is, they acquired him and paid him basically as much as they could below the tax after making the Howard trade. And we felt like, okay, you know, I guess that's like the best guy that was available but you know he's pretty injury prone a tough fit as well you know can't really play with Kemba although they've tried that a a little bit but you know I guess that's as good as they could have done and and clearly it's not as good as they could have done because and I think to some degree too they were hurt by the fact that the veterans minimum went up and so for you know like a Ray Felton for example they're paying Carter Williams 2.7 this year and for like a Ray Felton he can get 2.1 in a way better situation in Oklahoma City he's made plenty of money in his career so they now to try they couldn't really outbid people with that but you would think the way kid gilchrist has played and considering the injury concern or i'm sorry not kid gilchrist carter williams has played and given the injury concerns that he had coming in and in his career that they could have done better there for sure and i mean that negative 18 net rating and that's got to be about the worst that we've seen for like a semi-decent team when their stars is off the floor i mean even the thunder without westbrook last year weren't this
2: they weren't and one of the things that I've been rattling around with over the last couple of weeks is they actually used one of their two-way contracts on a point guard, on Marcus Page, and he played a little bit in the preseason for them, but you run the risk of losing Michael Carter Williams. But again, he's on a one year contract, it's not that big a deal. Just just try the only other option you have, because you can't really spend much because of their tax concerns. Try him out. they God, those guys don't count against the cap, and if it works, you might have to cycle through another player or two. Like that's certainly a possibility but i mean why not try it and the other thing i mean the 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 best i mean it's the most extreme example but it's just just incredible what happened in the game on on thursday wednesday against the rockets houston led 23 to 21 with two minutes and 45 seconds left in the first quarter when kemba walker left the game three minutes and 44 seconds of game time later houston was ahead 43 to 23
1: yeah and that's houston obviously and that that was really the perfect storm because houston's bench units with chris paul and chris paul basically came back in right at the same time that walker was leaving i mean those houston bench units have been absolutely dominating at the same time that those hornets bench units have been so incredibly awful and so that was just the absolute perfect storm there uh you know it's interesting cody zeller although he's now out for a while and so we don't expect this to get better we thought that him missing time was the issue since they were 3 and 17 without him last year and we felt like hey coming off the bench that could really solidify things but in their net rating without walker on the floor and with him on the floor he didn't solve the problem because there was still negative 13 net rating in that situation now of course he's out and they're going with kaminsky more at center and he's he has really struggled also malik monk has the worst net rating on the team negative 15 point four he obviously has played a lot of his time without walker as well i mean is there anything they can do here or is it just is this problem just so intractable that they're just gonna sink them this year
2: the hope is that being as healthy as they can you know if they can get a little bit more from lake monk than they have but yeah it's it's pretty close to intractable and th- I think really what you're hoping for is just the idea that they're not this bad you know like if they can be a slight negative as opposed to a gargantuan negative because their starters have done well and and the other idea that you threw out and it, it was a good one I should have I should have mentioned this during the Twitter NBA show was playing Nikola Batum more with the second unit because he can create it's not a forte of his though. we hoped it would be earlier in his career but compared to some of the struggles they've been having I mean why the heck not try it yeah
1: and Batum missed that game due to the elbow injury uh but his play 34 minutes or more since then and they only lost uh, by two against uh portland at home they played 38 minutes in that game and had 23 points and i think maybe the thought is just hey you got to get more defense on the floor you, you know maybe maybe the approach is all right we need to just play them to a scoreless tie when Kemba's out of the game you know maybe they play some more dwight howard when kemba is out you know if you want to throw howard the ball in the post hey go for it and then we'll just we'll not play carter williams As much. Maybe we'll just try to, especially as we get to more wings, we could go with like Lamb and Batum and Graham all together on the perimeter and just say, like, hey, we're going to switch everything. We have Dwight in the middle. We're going to just stop people. Hey, Dwight, like, we'll just throw you the ball. We'll waste all of your crappy post ups that are inefficient during this period so you don't bog down the real offense when Walker is out there. Maybe that would be the approach for me, but I'm not saying that's some great answer. They are very limited, of course, with
2: the personnel that they have available. Speaking of being limited by the Personnel you have at the moment, the Brooklyn Nets. Hey, Brooklyn Nets. three and four in their last seven. Yeah, I mean th- that's what I'm saying though is like I think they've been they've had some nice moments, but they are limited by the personnel they have available at the moment. Like that's really the <laughs> idea I was getting at. Is so they're they're 11 18, as you said, three and four in the last 15, 60. Negative 3.4 net rating puts them at 24th, 18th in offense, 24th in defense, 4% chance of making the playoffs per 538. And I'm fine with all that. I- I've enjoyed watching them this year. They've had this really nice season from Spencer Dinwiddie. I've I wanna see more from Julia Lokafor. He he had a pretty solid game in actually playing significant minutes and then got a dnp in the next one and so you know that 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 will happen as a a player adjusts to a new circumstance but i in i enjoy them like and it's and i like that they've approached this you know that they're not they're not necessarily gunning for it they're trying a lot of they're trying guys they're playing quote unquote the right way they're just not winning a ton of basketball games
1: yeah and kenny atkinson said before the game as okafor got that dnp against the faster paced uh, well shooting pacers and you, know, you consider that matchup with Miles Turner not a good one for him defensively. Sabonis, who likes to run a lot of pick and roll, the Pacers just run just a crap ton of pick and roll. I mean, that's basically you know, what they love to do with Oladipo and obviously Jaleel, one of the worst pick and roll defenders that we've seen in some time. But Atkinson said before the game that he's going to make changes eventually to try to fit Okafor into the team style of play. And it was apparent in the Toronto game that you know they didn't quite have the plan for him offensively. That he didn't know where to be. I mean, he still showed some flashes though I mean there was one play he actually they played him at power forward next to Mozgov at one point uh where he was just like standing in the corner and then he eventually ran a pick and roll from that position after Mozgov told him where to go there are a couple of times he was thrown just like flaming bags of the three-point line he had to take a three which you know looked as you might expect uh, I think eventually my hope for him is that he can become this really good pick and roll center offensively and the comparison has been made between him and Enes but Cantor doesn't really take any bad shots he goes to power moves in the post I mean he gets for all of his defensive issues Cantor is someone who's really physical offensively he gets great position he's relentless on on the offensive glass and he forces you to double team because he backs into position and uses that body I mean Okafor actually has a a stronger and bigger body and, and greater wingspan and more quickness than Cantor does but he still has been plagued by going to a lot of finesse moves when he posts up and so I think just trying to tighten up his game get deep post position you know i mean that's something that you and i have harped on for a long time that he just doesn't do that um and then just be a great pick and roll player too you know i mean rather than trying to turn and face an attack from the elbows with the defender in front of him how about you run a pick and roll and get the ball on the move and and use those great feet and great touch to finish pick and rolls And then also obviously he's got to improve his passing every once in a while um but and he's also got to get a lot better at setting screens uh especially out in the perimeter and I think you know he's in the right place that they are are going to try and give him a shot here but he's gonna still have to earn some time for this Nets team in this Nets culture but if he listens to what they're selling I think he could be pretty effective offensively we'll see whether in fact uh, he's able to get there and you know there's not a ton of competition in terms of long-term players on the Nets now with Booker gone and really the only other one is Jared Allen Uh, what else you got on these guys
2: so the last little while they've been going to a starting five of Dinwiddie, Crab, Demari Carroll, Rondé, Hollis Jefferson, and Zeller, who has also had a, had a nice season.
1: They took Lavert out of the, the starting lineup, and, and Crab clearly is a superior player to Levert, considering how he's played this season.
2: And those guys haven't played a ton together. It's only 100, 103 minutes, but they've been really good. They've defended zealously. They've, they've been, you know, 90, 90 defensive rating is not sustainable, but they can be good. Like, you look at that lineup, and there, there aren't many clear negatives. Dinwiddie has great size for for a one and they've been scoring well they're 117 so that gives them a 20 a plus 28 net rating and when you think about how they've been dealing with injuries of course d'angelo russell and jeremy lynn and i think that that they're closer to to just like finding those kind of things and they just need to get the bench figured out but as i said i i think that there's more here they're just they just don't have enough talent yet
1: yeah and zeller experiencing a bit of a career resurgence for a guy who played a big role in boston as recently as a couple of years ago but certainly not a talented enough guy that you really want to be giving big minutes to i, I do think considering their where they are developmentally that they really you know playing him over okafor and jared Allen won't make a lot of sense even though you know he's been zeller has been scoring well he was might even be better than those guys at this point uh and he's been taking a few more threes which might help his his career as well he's still just absolutely porous defensively and their defensive rating drops by quite a bit when he is on the floor um they also Quincy AC has kind of dropped out of the rotation he has been 11 out of 38 from the field in December and 29 of his 38 shots have come from three which is crazy to think about Quincy AC a guy who once was labeled as not being able to shoot and perhaps he still can't because he's only made nine of those 29 but he he used to be thought of as a dunker and an energy guy and that might be one case where you know maybe he's just too limited to be out there but you probably want him taking a few more shots around the rim as a guy who's be a a really athletic dude, although he's not quite where he was early in his career. If you had to guess what their final record is at the end of the year, well, here, I'll ask it this way. They are projected at 31. Sorry, they're projected at 30 and 52. Final record by 538. Over or under that?
2: I'll go slightly under, but they could could absolutely go over. I mean, if if D'Angelo Russell comes back and their offense looks good and they can be a little bit more consistent on that end. But I just, you know, the idea of injuries you know further injuries and and going to more of a youth movement you know playing some of those guys so i'll go i'll go under here but there are plenty of reasons especially considering they have no incentive to tank that they could push a little bit above this
1: yeah especially if they're going to play oka for a lot i mean i i hope that he improves and i i actually he's a guy who when he has it rolling offensively i actually enjoy watching but man he's just been so bad from a plus minus standpoint it's uh and russell another guy who puts up stats but has been pretty bad from a plus minus standpoint in his career so they might be interesting to watch offensively but i predict that their defense is really uh gonna hit the fan uh boston celtics now 25 and 7 5 and 3 in the eight games since the last 15 and 60 a 5.5 net rating places them fourth in the nba they are the 11th ranked offense which has really improved since the start of the year and still maintain the best defense in the nba although that's actually gone up by almost 10 points since uh, the days uh, of uh that winning streak they were at like 92 now they're at 102 so really they have not been defending incredibly well since that initial winning streak what do you got on them
2: a couple of different things so certainly the loss like just just having having some you know inconsistencies there offensively defensively they did something i think it was in the memphis game where they were playing three point guards together they were playing it was i think it was Larkin. Kyrie and Rozier together and I was just sitting there going like what's going on here and some of it was personnel based you know we've talked about Marcus Morris's injury stuff before and Stevens try stuff which is which is totally fine but I think it's awfully hard to win that sort of way even if some of those guys like Rozier can defend above their position it's just to me those are low six low success possibilities and the positive though is that their young guys are still looking good. You know, I we'll have we talked about this and got plenty of crap on various angles for how we thought about the Celtics guys on the Prospects podcast. But Jason Tatum has the has the skill set to be a productive offensive player. Yeah, and I've
1: been watching him more closely since we did that again. Uh and he had his best game in some time against Memphis on Saturday night. That was an interesting game at Memphis. They uh led by 21 early. The Celtics did Uh, But then a furious comeback by Memphis in the third quarter as Marcus Soule dropped 21 in the period uh, on a bevy uh, of mostly three-pointers. Tatum in that game, though, uh, he really... One thing that sticks out about him is, you know, he's got very good length, not just, like, unbelievable, ridiculous length, but, you know, seven-foot wingspan uh, at his size is good. But he really uses his long arms to high-point the ball in the rebounding action and blocking shots. Well, he had this one unbelievable Block on Drell Martin after a turnover. It wasn't really so much a chase down, but but, because he was sort of in position, but coming in from behind, and Martin on a play that, you know, 99% of the time just is a layup, does a nice move, gets his body in between Tatum and the ball, extends his arm out, nice finish, and Tatum somehow reaches over his shoulder, fully extends his arm without fouling. I mean, if you think about it, both Martin and Tatum's arms were fully extended, but Martin had his body in between the ball and Tatum, and Tatum still just just barely got a fingernail on it and blocked Martin's layup. It was just an incredibly impressive play to block it like that without following good job by the refs, not just making the auto call. We did see Tatum get into his Ballyhooed iso game a little bit more to some effect. He had a play where he went between the legs a couple of times behind the back, pulled up for a jump shot against, I think it was Martin again. Uh, he also had a nice drive in isolation on Brooks. He's really, we've talked about this before, but his footwork got a triple threat is very impressive and his first step is impressive but he's really able to get guys off balance when he catches the ball with the live dribble with his jab step game uh, he also had a nice spin move where he went through two guys although he ended up missing the layups that's one thing that's still in progress for him is you know he'll get up for some impressive dunks sometimes in the open floor but if he's really contested you know he doesn't necessarily have the greatest explosion if he's got a body on him and can get bumped off of his shot a little bit I think those are shots which hopefully. Will Will start to go in for him as he just gets a little bit more used to getting bumped and not having every little bump at the rim called as a foul as it is in college but it was an impressive offensive game for him and I just was thinking about how Brown and here are so difficult to guard when they go to a spread pick and roll with Kyrie and Horford because number one obviously Horford and Kyrie are really really difficult to guard on their own and Tatum and Brown can hit shots but if you close out to them they also both... know may not be amazing guys going one-on-one yet but both of them are outstanding at attacking a closeout getting to the rim and finishing so you have to really deal with them as a dual threat when they're spaced out and those guys largely are closing games for them last thing on that game al horford came in once memphis had closed the gap at the end of the third early fourth and he absolutely dominated he scored on a couple of really nice post-ups and then he had three assists right in that stretch as well out of the post one where he caught the ball in the corner drove kicked it out to a a three-point shooter and that stretch enabled boston to go up by nine and memphis really never got closer than six i think after that he hit like a one foot fadeaway jumper out of the post as well as the, the third quarter was ending really just fantastic work from al horford and he really has been the glue holding this team together especially as they've and his versatility has been great too because they've had to go with marcus morris out to more lineups where he's had to play with either Daniel Tice or Baines and he's been totally effective as either a power forward or as a center in fact let's see if the numbers actually support that statement I probably should have checked before I said that yeah they've been actually 16.4 net rating with him at power forward the lineup with he and Baines together has been good and then still when he's at center uh plus 9.3 he's played 32 percent of his minutes at power forward and 68 percent at center so very effective at either big position
2: he's been fabulous this year and such a key to their offense working the way it does because you have to respect what he does on the floor and i I, i've heartily enjoyed it one thing i do want to mention marcus smart does many things well marcus smart is also shooting below 30 percent from three for the third consecutive season he is taking 4.3 of them per game and that's a problem
1: yeah although you know i'm not sure if it would be better for them if he just didn't shoot them when he's open agree agree but but yeah he can get a little thirsty sometimes it's true, why don't we move on to Atlanta here? What's up with them?
2: So, the Hawks are six and 23, one and six since the last 15 and 60. Their negative 7.2 net rating puts them 27th in the league, 23rd in offense, 29th in defense. 29th in defense is disturbing, but of course, that ties in with something I want to talk about. And they only they have a less than one percent chance to make playoffs, they're not making the playoffs. We, we know that already. And yes, they have been yep, saddled, but they might get the
1: number one seed in the lottery now because uh, yeah, Bulls have tied them with uh, with six actually no the bulls i think are now both past uh, them uh, yeah too- the bulls uh, are they have the, the hawks have the worst record in the league all by their lonesome
2: i think they have the worst record they have in terms of the wins column they're they have the worst record by two games
1: yeah and they are projected to be four games worse right now than the kings projected at 21 and 61 for the hawks kings projected at 25 wins bulls all the way up to 27 projected wins
2: so what are the key questions with them is you know like I, my expectation was that they would be a solid defensive team that was betrayed by their offense that was my idea so far at least statistically they've been better offensively than defensively so wanted to yeah, look into that's a little with bit with
1: faint praise right there
2: yeah it is but so one of the key factors that you have to mention is just the big man injuries they've had Dwayne Deadman has missed a bunch of time of course and he's going to be out it was three to six weeks was re- original prognosis I haven't heard an update on him yeah but with
1: that stress reaction so th- those are are so inscrutable as, as we've seen with Seth Curry
2: right so you have a couple different elements in play one of them is that they are forcing turnovers, which is good, of course, but they're not getting defensive rebounds and they're getting killed in terms of second chance points. So they're giving up a lot there and then they're getting slaughtered at the three-point line. And... The combination is what's killing them because they're giving up the second highest proportion of threes. 35% of opponent shots are coming from long distance and opponents are shooting 39% from there. And we've talked about this at length that generally speaking teams do not have much control over the over the success rate of those three-pointers, but the frequency they do and so having both of those that way, that's what leads to a team being dead last in opponent effective field goal percentage.
1: Yeah. This is one of those ones where it's like, okay, you know, like we said with the Kings last time, we've now established that there they're bad and why they're bad and you know i think in future 15 and 60s we'll just sort of accept that as a given and maybe we can try to focus on some bright spots which uh, isaiah taylor has been one of those uh he's under contract this year and next at the minimum uh they get much better defensively when he's out there i'm not sure how much of that is his doing but he has been impressive at getting to the rim where he takes half of his shots and also getting to the free throw line both of those are very impressive for a combo guard they might even and look into some lineups potentially uh with him playing with shooter he has struggled from three at 24 percent, but did hit shots in the d league last year you know we have seen sometimes where that doesn't translate i think deandre liggins had a year where he shot like 38 percent three uh in the g league g league g league uh and also a higher than average turnover rate but i mean when you consider the construction of this team that they have like two guys on this team really who can take someone off the dribble uh with shooter being the other that that at least helps them and speaking of Schroeder and we would probably say that he's like clearly the best player on the Hawks right in theory yeah well it's probably an issue when your purported best player has the second worst net rating of any of your rotation guys eight negative 8.3 net rating bellinelli is the only one who is worse at uh negative 8.7 and it just truder even though his play is not as egregious in terms of like missing guys on offense taking bad shots you know not executing defensively it still just continues this trend where it seems like the team always plays worse with him out there now the counter argument to that is this is a team that has at least when healthy a bench they are a bad team much like the kings a bad team whose bench is like pretty close in talent to their starters and so usually you'll see that those teams bench net ratings are are much better than their starters even if you know that doesn't necessarily mean the bench is more talented it just means that they're going against other teams benches um but it certainly is interesting i mean miles plumley is in the green net rating wise so is taylor um tyler Kavanaugh who was elevated from two-way status of late um, so, so, to see some of these deep reserves as having, but you know, not guys who have played totally insignificant amounts of been having uh, the best, uh, on off uh, on the team is interesting to see.
2: It is. And it's also been nice that John Collins is back now. He played, uh, was, pro- was productive more in their, in his return game against the Pistons where he scored 15 points in 20 minutes. And then he just didn't take many shots in the second end of a back-to-back. He did play 24, but he only put up two shots in those 24 minutes, was active on the glass in their loss to at memphis which was actually that was a close game that was a game i actually thought there was a a a blown call late in that game where it was hard to tell wasn't a great camera angle where i think it was god who was that there was a a a hawks player got i thought he got fouled taking a three when they were down two at the very end but they didn't call it so they lost
1: well you're to be applauded for watching uh, a grizzlies hawks game in uh late 2017
2: here it was pretty exciting i enjoyed it
1: Last but not least, let's get to Liam's team, the Miami Heat. Usually a deeper dive on them, so we figured we'd save it until the end this time. What's going on with
3: them? So Miami Heat, four and two since the last fifteen and sixteen, uh fifteen and fourteen overall negative 2.2 net rating, 20th in the league, 24th best offense, 13th best defense, and 538 playoff odds have them at 71% chance to make the playoffs right now. So they've been dealing with a lot of uh, minor injuries. Hassan Whiteside's missed the last nine games, I think, with the bone bruise, and that's kind of affected them in some areas. They're 28th in turnover percentage and 27th in offensive rebounding percentage on the, on the season, and those are two areas where Whiteside could probably help out. Uh, when Whiteside's on the court, their offensive rebounding percentage jumps a lot, and he's also gets a line way more than the other bigs they have so they might be able to do better in those two areas you know once he yeah. um, rejo- rejoins the lineup he,
1: he will not be helping their turnover percentage however no
3: no he won't he won't be helping that uh but as an offense they're they're really well constructed they they take the mo- highest percentage of their shots from the corner which is obviously you know a great sign of you know smart offense getting good shots second highest in three-point attempt rate and 29th in mid-range uh attempt rate so they, it's a really well-designed offense and they're getting really good shots but uh, like I touched on before they're really bad turning the ball over they're not getting the line much and they're not offensive rebounding much so if they can find a way to improve some there that would really boost their offense from 24th uh, which is obviously the biggest weakness of their team so I I wanted to ask you guys before I dive any deeper to any more of their players where do you guys see them like stacking up in the east compared to like all the other teams they're next to in the standing so like Pistons Knicks Sixers
1: yeah Bucks you would have to throw into that category as well because it's it's interesting right I mean the the 538 gives them a better chance of making the playoffs than uh say the Sixers who of course have gotten far more publicity this year and and they actually have a better record than the Sixers you have to say with the way the Pacers have played and with Victor Oladipo the way he's been on fire lately you know they just the Pacers seem like they've been playing better than this Heat team so far but it's tough to say I mean you you just because the Pacers are a team that is kind of succeeding in spite of math where you know they're number one in the league in mid-range attempts but they're good at those shots and, and are a good offensive team overall whereas the Heat have a bunch of guys who are decent three-point shooters who aren't hitting you know the Pacers have guys like Oladipo who are above their career norms and so you have to wonder you know what's more likely that the Heat are going to improve that the Pacers are going to regress I mean I put I would put them in a similar category to really all of those teams and that's why 538 has all five of those teams that you mentioned except for the Knicks uh, with between a 73 and 59 percent chance of making the playoffs. uh, would currently be teams five through nine in the standings
2: the only thing i'll add is i think you could make a good argument that miami has played the furthest below their talent level maybe other than the bucks of those teams this year yeah
1: are you counting the coach as part of their talent The Bucks.
2: Yeah, I I would say you know it all it all kind of comes out in that, and so that kind of gives me gives me some confidence in them. And they're only a game and a half behind the Pacers, so like I think the Heat are a better team personally. They haven't been this year to be sure, but that's just kind of my instinct. But I have them. I think they're a little bit worse than the Pistons and the Bucks, and the Sixers are the wild card. We just have to see how healthy they are.
1: Yeah. What else have you seen from them uh, in your observations these past couple of weeks here, Liam?
3: Well, I'll just I'll just run through um, you know. couple players in their rotation, you guys stop me if you want to say anything on them. So like I said, Justice Winslow and Hassan Whiteside, I missed the last couple games, so I haven't seen any of them. But Dion Waiters, I think overall, I think the ankle injury that he had from last year is still really bothering him. On on defense, he looks particularly lazy. I think MKG was getting, you know, was scoring on him pretty regularly. He's getting assigned to like the worst of the opposing teams like one through three. Uh, They're really trying to hide him on defense. And on offense, he's really struggling just with taking, you know, some of the bad Dion shots that we used to know with like long pull-up twos. He's using a ton of the shot clock and then throwing off these flaming bags to his teammates, and only a 48% true shooting percentage, so it's really not worth. You know, he's not he's not making it worth all the trouble that he's you know made it worth last season. And uh, Kelly Olynyk, I think, has been. I I didn't think in the games that I saw that he was playing particularly well. Like he, I thought he was a uh, liability on defense. He was getting dominated on the glass uh, against Don, DeAndre Jordan, which was a, a massive mismatch in that area. But if you look at the offensive numbers with him, the offensive rating is 12 points better with him on the floor, and I think the three-point shooting that he really that he gives them is you know massive to you know boosting the team's offense overall um and just yeah and
1: part of that I think with, with Olenek is just that you know he's playing more with some of their bench units James Johnson Wayne Ellington as well who's probably a, a better offensive player than anyone they have on the wing in the starting group uh you know Richardson and, and Waiters as we've talked about it, have been two of the more disappointing shooters in the league this season so part of it's who Olenek is playing with but also you know I think his floor space it at the five is a part of what can help this team succeed offensively
3: Right. And he's actually the last, well, since Sam Whiteside's been out, he has been starting some games. But yes, he was initially cut off the bench. And Wayne Ellington is definitely one of their premier offensive players. just as far as like his gravity as a shooter. He's become one of those like knockdown shooters that teams are very aware of. He was getting doubled off of some of the pin downs and creating offense just, you know, for his teammates by just being a threat from the three point line. So he's definitely been a a boon for them offensively. I I wanted to get your guys thoughts on uh, who do you guys think is the the worst of their contracts, you know, as the season's kind of, you know, going on here. I don't know because I, I I was looking at their cap sheet and thinking like okay well that that might not be a great deal but I I didn't think many of them were you know train wreck deals maybe the the Tyler Johnson could be bad just with the uh, jump in the next year for his cap number but I don't know I wanted to see what you guys thought
1: I'll let you take this one Danny as uh the would you say you or or I take some more. Uh i don't know i I don't want to say satisfaction but uh is more interested in uh bad contracts but uh, i think it's you so i I will let you take this one
2: so part of the challenge is that like james johnson for example like i think he's been solid on his contract for this year but just the fact that he's he's at least
1: playing well he's He's playing playing well
2: well. but four years is 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 the concern there and that player option on the last year and he's getting older but i i think i would go And, and
1: by the way just to run through it he's four years uh a little under 60 million uh for James Justin right. so he's the biggest of those guys that they signed waiters it was uh four for 52 off the top of my head and, and Olenek was right in that range yeah. a, as
2: well and then Tyler Johnson has about 39 million after this year so the, and that's that's tough because it also gets into the luxury tax and so I would say he's going to be the most overpaid in terms of the worst contract I I, I think I'd probably go Johnson because he also like I mean he's basically like he there are other guys on this team that can do similar things and james johnson there's always a value to forwards that can defend and ideally can shoot a little bit so i think i'll go tyler johnson but it is a close call
1: yeah i don't think i would say it's probably waiters given the fact that waiters was never any good uh, until last year and That's then hasn't been good this year and also the fact that i think he you know johnson he's been effective right now if he you know maybe he falls off a little bit in every area but he'll still at least have some size some defensive versatility you know? Know, what Liam was saying about Waiters defense which you know he throughout his career generally has not been a good defender was okay last year uh, had some moments in the playoffs with Oklahoma City the year before um so Waiters he's also a guy where if you know his shooting regresses which we thought that it might uh and this that's really more like his career norm then he doesn't do enough else really to be effective whereas Linux, um you know at least those guys have the possibility of like okay maybe they're they'll be worth like five. $5 million dollars less than their annual salary whereas waiters you know he could just be like almost a negative player be, making uh, that much if he continues to play like this and johnson with only two years left you know that's like a walk in the park compared to some of these deals that are out there and at least he's a rotation player unlike you know a mozgov or a dang or a yan mahimi actually has, has been a little bit better as we'll talk about or we're recording this at the end but uh as we can talk about with the wizards
3: Right. And I, I just think it was an interesting question from the perspective like I it's I think it's pretty clear that they've signed these contracts thinking, Okay, you know, we can win with these guys and then if we there's a big free agent available that wants to come with us, hopefully we can boost the value of these guys and maybe flip them for an asset or we can trade them or we can clear space if we need to. So I just think it's an interesting question on like how they perform this year and you know, how those contracts look for future moves if they wanna clear space or maybe get an asset for somebody, go younger. So I, I just thought it was an interesting, you know, to take a look at it from that perspective. But uh, um
1: a, a couple yeah, so, so some quick hitters here yeah and some of the other guys that, that you've been watching
3: sure uh with a, a couple of the injuries they've had so James Johnson's out seven to ten days with an ankle injury Whiteside's been out a little bit Winslow's gonna be out I think he's day-to-day but Jordan Mickey's actually stepped up and played pretty well he's a good role threat he's hit a couple elbow jumpers and he blocks some shots inside uh he does bite on every single pump fake uh, Montrez Harrell was really you know scoring on him with ease just pump faking him every time down low so that's an area he's gonna have to improve on I think Josh Richardson's look better for them he's you know obviously a really athletic defender on the wing can guard ones I think guarding ones is probably his best position for him to guard but he's looked much better shooting threes quick release you know he's they're more catch and shoot but he's still like on the move a little bit it's not completely stationary and the one thing he has started doing is he's hitting 48 percent on his pull-up twos so when the big does sink in the pick and roll he can make more of those shots he's never going to be like a great primary offensive creator but I think they're definitely trying to stretch him out more with some of his usage his turnover percentage has skyrocketed to 18 percent from 11 percent last year so they're asking him to do much, and he's having some growing pains, but he's definitely getting better there, I'd say.
1: Yeah, Richardson, particularly in the game that we saw in Oakland, Danny really struggled. You know, They had some guys out in that game, too, to just be a creator and, and had just a, a ton of turnovers. So you know, he definitely is uh, a little bit stretched uh, in that role. Um, and then Bam Adebayo, what did you see from him?
3: Yeah, I actually liked him quite a bit from what I saw. The one thing he was doing was really impressive, which is so important for for centers in the modern day, is that he was getting out to the three point line and guarding pretty well there. So, when they played the the Blazers, obviously, that's a huge emphasis that you got to get out to the three point line to help the guard when, you know, Lillard and McCollum are in pick and rolls. And he was there every time. He was there early. You know, he, he slid pretty well. You know, whenever they wanted him to hedge, he did that pretty well and recovered. And he's a great uh, rim roller. So, he has a very defined role, which I think you can see, you know, in kind of that Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan role. Now, who knows if he'll get as good as those guys, but, you know, the same type of role that I think he's doing. Doing pretty well uh 1.5 points per possession on his, as a roll man and that's on 22 percent per of his shots so he's he's really good there i think he's like 97th percentile among bigs or something like that and the, the one thing i was surprised by is that the on-off numbers with him aren't actually don't actually match what i saw you know from watching him is that his offense the offensive rating drops by eight with him on the floor and the defensive rating is nine points worse when he's in as well so he's not helping on either side but i don't know maybe that's small sample size maybe so i don't know what to think of that i mean have you have you like what you've seen from him
1: yeah i have more in a prospect sense i mean he definitely makes a lot of mistakes and for guys with his athleticism it just comes down to like head and heart right like are they smart enough to execute defensively and are they going to play hard and i think miami can in terms of both getting into physical shape and requiring a certain effort level miami can do that and so it's just a question of whether you know he can really develop the basketball skills and recognition to really affect the game you know he. He's not a guy who has been as effective uh, on the defensive glass in his career, not a guy who has amazing recognition in help defense. His best possessions really have been, you know, where he's switching out and it's just said, okay guard this guy, you know, so uh, but I think he he, uh, he's in the right place to improve. But like nearly any rookie, especially a young one like him, if you're asking him to be a a part of a, a winning team, you know, you're probably gonna be disappointed. All right, that'll do it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget about our sponsor, Indochino. Get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 when entering that familiar CAT space code at checkout. Talk to you all tomorrow
0: night. Till then. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and